Hey, welcome back to episode 7 of the Geeky Techie Coolcast. Today we're going to talk about India shutting down PUBG Mobile, tear down a voxel game on Steam, Anthem. Kind of has some hope left. EA faces a gigantic fine in the Netherlands, Apex Legends getting some new updates. PlayStation Plus Collection and the PS5 controller, how that might be the new next-gen thing you need to look out for, and the AMD GPU event. Let's get into it! Hey, episode 7, and it's November 1st. Let's get cracking on these headlines. You know what? Before that, thank you once again for stopping back in. If you are a subscriber, again, I truly, truly appreciate you, and I can't thank you enough. Please keep subscribing, and I'll keep making the content for you. Now, let's get cracking on those headlines. India shut down PUBG Mobile. Um, basically, security risks uh, related around China. Tencent Production Company holds the publishing rights to that game, and they are direct controlled uh, through the Chinese uh, government. At this point... There's some uh, some conflict. Uh, they're, basically, they had their first deaths in a border dispute uh, since, uh, gosh, I don't know, since the last time there was a giant conflict there. Uh, anyway, one of the biggest things to keep track of here, though, is that there are 33 million registered players uh, in India alone uh, for the uh, for PUBG Mobile. So there's definitely a grab at a pocketbook here. And who's necessarily uh, getting more hurt by that? We're, we'll probably find out later on. Teardown is a voxel physics game, and it hit Steam's uh, bestseller list pretty much immediately upon being launched. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I'll dive into that a bit more later, but it is pretty cool. If you haven't looked at it, look up Teardown. It is on PC. It's live on Steam right now for early access. Anthem. BioWare has come back, and they have released some new gameplay footage showing some changes and some updates that they've made. If you don't remember Anthem, I wouldn't hold that against you. Uh, Anthem pretty much released and flopped immediately. It was uh, touted to be this pretty amazing game that uh, was going to change how we played uh, first-person looter shooters, and it didn't change a damn thing. And <laughs> in the end, it was a giant flop. The, the game did not deliver on content and did not deliver on gameplay mechanics and did not deliver on this giant epic world uh, that you were supposed to be able to interact with on a daily basis, and that just didn't happen. So, nonetheless, Bioware's come back, and they have put out some content showing that they are still making strides and working towards a better game. They did commit, when they first launched the game, to creating something uh, spectacular, and they did commit, even after it flopped, to bringing the game up to its uh, true potential down the road. So, we'll see how, how they do with this. If they're anything like the guys over at... Um um, over at No Man's Sky, I mean, they've done a phenomenal job turning that game around. It flopped too, but it's a pretty amazing piece of technology to play now. So uh, I hope for the same positive result for Bioware. Bioware can make some pretty good stuff. EA faces a $583,000 fine every week in the Netherlands f uh, for game packs resolving around, uh, revolving around FIFA Ultimate. So basically, this is a loot box issue that uh, it, it stems from. It's a it's a gambling or anti-gambling tactic. So um, if you don't remember, EA got into some trouble for loot box issues, not just in FIFA, but in like Star Wars Battlefront. Um, and they even tried to attempt to do the same kind of thing within Battlefield, but they, they ended up kind of nixing it before it became too much of a problem. They created 
uh, enough of, of a mechanic that resembled gambling, uh, tying it to real money, tying it to uh, gameplay mechanics and things like that, that they ended up getting a giant amount of controversy surrounding this. So anyway, the government within, in the Netherlands has basically said, you guys have uh, uh, three weeks to remove this or you will be fined uh, $583,000 a week, every week that is being uh, released. We'll, we'll see what happens. Obviously, they're still going to fight this. Uh, EA is one of the biggest publishing companies on the face of the planet when it comes to gaming, so they're going to fight it, and we'll see uh, if they end up making any strides with this. Apex Legends, if you don't play Apex Legends, I'm, I'm sorry, you should. It's a ton of fun. Uh, even if you're not a super skilled gamer, like myself, um, you can have a blast. It is it is an amazing game. Tons of fun characters to play. A lot of great mechanics. And you can have fun even when you get your ass kicked. Nonetheless, we're getting a new character, Horizon. A new map, Olympus. And a new vehicle. And uh, a bunch of other little things. Club systems, skins, and, and a few different updates and tweaks, obviously, to the rest of the weaponry and things like that in the game. The two biggest things, obviously, are the new map and a vehicle now. The vehicle is be already being touted as just a way to get around the map. It's kind of a rotational tool. It's not really something that you can do a whole lot with. But there are going to be some pretty interesting gameplay mechanics because it looks like you can use players, uh, sorry, use characters, ultimates, and um, and passives and things like that on the vehicle. So like Gibraltar has a shield, a dome shield you can use. You put it on the front of it. It acts as a shield for your vehicle as you're cruising. Uh, you can mount um, ramparts, a machine gun to the back of it. Uh, it showed one clip of Caustic's gas trap on the front of the of the vehicle. So it's an interesting thing. I, I, I'm interested to see what, what some of these mechanics uh, can do uh, to kind of boost or, or kind of change some of the meta in the game. I'm excited to play it nonetheless. I believe that comes out November 2nd. Don't quote me on that, but I believe it does come out this week. PlayStation Plus Collection. Uh, you are going to get 20 games at launch for PlayStation Plus members. No additional cost. Some first-party games and some third-party games as well. Now, uh, PlayStation has just released this information. I'm not going to go through all 20 games here, but you do get access to those games if you are a PlayStation Plus subscriber. So that is in direct competition, I would assume, to Xbox's Game Pass, where you are paying a $10 fee, minimum $10 fee, to access uh, Game Pass to get their game collection. It's a much larger collection, over 100 and some odd titles at this point, but nonetheless, uh, PlayStation is firing back with 20 games that you get just for being a standard PlayStation Plus member. So that's kind of a good value if you ask me. That's a great place to start. And to be honest, if you buy a PlayStation 5 and you've liquidated everything, trading all your stuff in to get a new console, at least you have a handful of games you can play on your new uh, console. And I would imagine they're going to be um, remastered or at least turned uh, some of the features on or up to be able to access them. So that's pretty cool. The other part of that is... Um or sorry, the other part of the PlayStation news is the PS5 controller. It might be the next uh, best thing in, gen in next generation gaming to keep track of. And uh, MKHB MKBHD and Dave2D both put out videos about the controller, um, both talking about kind of their feel of it and why. If you haven't watched those videos, I would suggest you go uh, take a look at those. MKBHD and Marquise Brownlee um, and Dave2D. So uh, watch them if you don't have, haven't gotten a chance. Dave2D goes into some kind of um, speculation as to how he thinks the resistive controllers or the, or the um, adaptive controllers work, and I think he's probably on the right track. Uh, he talks about a worm gear and a dual gear solution uh, that would uh, essentially give some resistance to the controllers themselves. And I've seen micro worm gears in, in, in use with uh, some of the micro crawlers that I use for RC stuff. Uh, by the way, if you like RC stuff and you're looking for some gifts for the holidays, go check out my video on YouTube about the SCX24 
micro RC crawler. Anyway, uh, the SCX24 uses a worm gear drive within each of the differentials, and it's incredibly durable, and it's very, very small. So I could definitely see how that could be the way that the uh, controllers work. It, it's, a, it's a fair... It's a fair guess, I would say. Uh, last but not least, the AMD GPU event happened. It happened on the 28th, um, as I said, and they released the RX 6000 series graphics cards. The big takeaways from this are a 50% performance per watt uplift, meaning they got 50% faster over the last generation. They basically they did everything they said they were going to do, and they over-delivered. <laughs> so AMD has gone from a company that 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 overpromises and underdelivers to a company that that underpromises and overdelivers on almost every single thing they say. Uh, the big takeaway from these these cards are the prices. Okay, so the RX or sorry the uh, 6900 XT. So that's the new series of cards. 6900 XT goes for a thousand dollars. That's their top of the line card. It is competing with the 30 uh, the 3090 from NVIDIA, which goes for $1,500. So that's a direct comparison card. They go blow for blow on performance. One's $1,500 and one is $1,000. So there's something to be said there. The next in line is the, uh, 6800 XT from AMD. That one's $700. That competes with the, uh, RTX 3080, which is also $700. And then we have the 6800 at 579 and that's competing somewhere in between the 3080 and 3070 because the uh, 6800 kind of uh, blows uh, blows the 3070 kind of out of the water across the board it's scoring better on most uh, scores uh, only a couple that it loses to and it goes blow for blow on a lot of things with the 3080 so at this point it kind of sits in between and that's why it's also priced in between the 3080 is 700 dollars, the 3070 is five and the 6800 is 579 so it sits in between them and kind of hits a performance point in between them the other big thing to take away from this is what amd is calling amd smart access memory now this is essentially a um, a communication between AMD CPUs, so your main processor on your computer, and the graphics card itself. It gives you an additional performance uplift by having an AMD um, uh, a 5000 series processor. So if you have a brand new AMD 5000 series processor and a brand new GPU from AMD, so graphics card and processor, they communicate uh, in a more direct fashion using some tools within uh, AMD's um uh, kind of architecture, and it gives you faster response, lower latency, things like that. It's going to give you another two to five to six percent increase in performance, depending on the title and depending on the workload. So that in and of itself is also a performance uplift. So if you combine all that together, you're getting in between a 52 to 57 percent performance increase over previous generation graphics cards and CPUs. That's a huge win for Team Red. Huge win. Huge, huge, huge. So at this point, AMD is pushing into the market of premium. They're pushing into the market of competing blow for blow with NVIDIA and Intel. They haven't for a very long time. And this is insanely um, uh, productive for gamers and, and consumers such as you and me, because in the end, competition drives innovation, competition drives prices. And I am super excited to finish building my computer with an AMD GPU and have a full AMD system. Super stoked. Can't wait. But obviously much like everybody else, 
<laughs> I got to save some money first because I don't care how you slice it. A $579 graphics card is still pretty dang expensive. And if you're going to spend $579, you might as well start ticking away at the top two because, you know, you do it once. Do Buy something nice or buy it twice. Uh, so that's kind of how it works. Either way, that's it for the headlines. I appreciate everybody timing in. If you don't want to stick around for the editorial stuff, now's your time to duck out. Remember, subscribe and like and follow all that jazz across all platforms. Geeky, techie, cool. I appreciate it, folks. Talk at you next week. All right. Welcome back. Thank you so very much. I appreciate every single one of you for tuning in. And, uh, you know, those subscribers, I appreciate you just a little bit more. So if you want my full, unadulterated appreciation, subscribe and come back every week. So India, uh, shutting down PUBG Mobile, I'm, you know, there's a lot to unpack here and I'm not going to touch on all of it because a lot of it is political and a lot of it is is judgmental in terms of how you perceive information. And um, all I can say is this could very well be just a, you know, a, a, a marketing... Not marketing, but a a market control money grab, essentially, um, or it could be general concern over um, you know over a standard. At this point, the U.S. has kind of set the standard when it comes to TikTok, and uh, uh, India could essentially be reacting to that or using it as motivation to push on the same kind of theme. Uh, you know, your 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 government controls a lot of this, and you're we're in conflict right now, so on and so forth. So, there's a lot to be said about this. I'm not really sure where I stand. At this point in time, all I know is that I don't run India, so I don't get to make that call. Uh, and the people who do run India get to, and it's their prerogative how they want to slice that pie and how they want to um, make people pay to be a part of it. Nonetheless, if you haven't looked up the information, I would suggest please do uh, look up the conflict uh, that is happening there and uh, look up why and educate yourself a little bit. And maybe you can derive an opinion and uh, talk amongst your friends and, and have a discussion. So nonetheless, there is, you know, some real ramifications to this. And it's not just, you know, oh, shucky darn people don't get to play their games. There's more involved than that. Um, so I would, like I said, suggest uh, looking it up and getting a bit more familiar with the topic. Uh, Teardown. Let's talk about Teardown. Teardown is a voxel-based uh, physics game, and it jumped to the Steam's bestseller list pretty much uh, immediately upon being released. It's open access right now. I've been waiting for this game to come out for a bit. Um, it um, it's it's kind of hard to explain. Like think of think of a prettier Minecraft with much smaller blocks, but yet the blocks are all destructible, kind of like. Um, your favorite level in Battlefield where, you know, you can blow up walls and stuff while you're shooting at someone, you can chip away at where they're hiding and you can, you can end up hitting them. Um, it, it's, it's essentially a, so voxel is a, is a, is a specific type of rendering voxel systems use that kind of blocky texturing It look, you know, people call it retro, but the thing about voxel is a lot of it is, um, a lot of it has more to do with dynamic uh, created things, so st- so stuff interacts with each other much differently. Things are um, things things within the physics system know where everything or knows where everything is a bit better. I guess is a good way to put it. Um, so walls and boxes and ammunition and explosives and uh, any kind of physical reaction between 
structures in, within the game, they are all more reactive to each other because within the game, they're computing all of those locations simultaneously. So uh, when you blow up a wall, the shrapnel from that wall actually damages things around it versus just uh, having a damage model. Ooh, perfect game. Rainbow Six Siege. If you've played Rainbow Six Siege and you can, you know, you could shoot through the walls and blow up sections of the wall and you can peek through it and, and aim bo- aim uh, at your opponent, things like that. That's the same kind of destruction, only it's um, much more pixel by pixel based and everything is reactive. So there you go. That's a good example. Nonetheless, so uh, circling back around here. When when you have a game like this where there's destruction involved, part of the game is is learning how to uh, destroy things in a specific way to get a job done. Um, you know, you're dealing with with a giant amount of computational load. So this is not an easy game to run. So I you know I, I play in 4K because I have a 4K monitor and I have an old uh, junky RX um, uh, gosh no XFX 580 or 590 590. I can't. I think it's a 580. Anyway, and it's tired and old, and and it was abused before I got it. So it's not running all that great. And I was chugging along at at 4K. I, I had to turn settings way down to be able to play this at any kind of smooth frame rate. And I was not playing anywhere near 60. So, um, it is not a game that's easy to run if you're trying to run it at full tilt settings with good graphics and things like that. Because, like I said, it's it's rendering all of these things in in real time, and it's and it's rendering the the not only the environment you're in, but the actual reaction and uh, implications of what you're doing. It's all doing it in real time. So, as you blow stuff up, as you progress through this game, it becomes a very unique experience. That's one of the beautiful things about voxel games is. When uh, uh, one of the things they highlighted on one of the gameplay uh, trailers for it was trying to accomplish a mission of deactivating a set of bombs within a sequence or a set of uh, trips, uh, trip kind of trip wires, essentially, right, to click a switch. But you had to do it within a time frame, and the, the faster the time was, the better your score was. And so you have to um, kind of creatively make a path for yourself to get from point to point and do it as fast as possible. So you're knocking down walls and blowing holes in windows and you're, you're taking out holes in roofs. You're chopping away certain parts of walls, things like that. You're creating this path for yourself. So when you click that timer, you have the fastest, most direct path to get to where you're going and you're traversing across most of this map. And so it's a, it's a decent distance. So, you know, you're hopping in a Jeep and you're, you're jumping it off of a, off of a ledge to crash it through a wall to hop out and click a switch to then jump through the next window and go to the next house. And, Everything is reactive, and everything doesn't play exactly the same way every time. So you hit that jump just a little too, you know, off to the one side or the other, and you're hitting that wall a little differently. And that the force of breaking through that wall reacts to your vehicle. It only damages your vehicle, but it actually slows you down and uh, keeps you veering in a different direction. So it's one of those things. Where, again, if you haven't heard of the game, go look up Teardown. It's on early release on Steam right now, and it's not horribly expensive to purchase. It's a fun time waster it's a chill kind of game where you can just kind of screw around in the level and just blow crap up and, and see how it affects things and it's a good way to kind of wind down i find it's a it's, it's one of those games where you can just kind of chill and play and accomplish something and accomplish nothing all at the same time so tear down go look it up ea ea is facing a fine uh, a fine of $583,000 every single week in the Netherlands for game packs, quote unquote, loot boxes that they have kept within FIFA Ultimate Team. So if you don't know about the loot box, um, the loot box, cons- not conspiracy, what am I trying to say? Loot box controversy that surrounded EA, um, you know, 
type it into Google. <laughs> um, th- that will cut, it'll, it'll bring up all sorts of information, but um, to, to kind of bring it down to a digestible little nugget here, EA got in giant trouble, not just within local governments, within different countries and things like that, or sorry, local governments, within governments of the different countries, but they got in trouble with just the gaming industry on a whole. The entire gaming industry basically lost their minds when they tried to put loot boxes within uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 because they ended up putting loot boxes in in a way that will affect gameplay in terms of little cards uh, and things that you collect to access different power-ups in the game. So they they said that it doesn't fundamentally change the game, but it it, it turned it in kind of to a pay-to-win situation where if you bought a bunch of loot boxes and got a bunch of cool rare cards and cool rare abilities, your characters and your abilities became overpowered. And it turned into a very play-to-win situation. It was a giant, huge uproar within the community. The game was damn near blacklisted. I mean, it, it went to the point where I think you could pick up Battlefield, Battlefront 2 for like five bucks recently uh, before they made some big update to it. So the game fell... $2. No, it was, no, no. Anthem fell to $2. Battlefront 2 was still five or six bucks. But either way, it was insanely cheap to the point where they were literally giving it away to say, hey, we made a big update. Please come back and play it. I'm sorry, basically. So... Um, EA obviously is no stranger to this kind of controversy. They're obviously going to fight this fine from the Netherlands, and they have a few weeks to to remove these loot boxes and kind of um, get to a solid point uh, to where they can, you know, kind of refresh and say, "Hey, is this is this good enough?" kind of thing. Um, but basically, the Netherlands are saying that that their loot boxes or their game packs are breaking the terms of service against gambling that uh, in Netherlands has within digital content. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I mean, this is EA. This is one of the biggest publishers within the video game industry. So obviously they know how to fight some of these battles. We'll see how, how they fight it. We'll see if they end up paying some of this. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of EA. I'm not a big fan of what they do to a lot of different games and different titles. But at the same time, you know, business is business. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't stop EA from doing business. So we kind of have to take it, uh, take it on the chin here. Um, I wouldn't mind them paying some fines, uh, maybe to change their tune a little bit. We'll see. The next thing to talk about is the PlayStation Plus collection and the PlayStation 5 controller. So, um, like I said in the beginning, you're getting 20 games at launch. This is going to be for any current PlayStation Plus member. It will be at no additional cost. And some of these games are going to be first party, roughly about 10 or 12 of them. And then the others will be third party games as well. So, uh, obviously, third party is going to make up the smaller amount of this. But nonetheless, there are some third party games. Most of these games are what PlayStation considers PlayStation hits, so they're going to be the best sellers, they're going to be the games that were the most definitive across the PlayStation uh, uh, platform at this point, so these are all games that are going to be available to play on the PlayStation 5. I have not heard this yet, but I would assume if they're going to be released for the PlayStation 5 as part of the collection, they are probably going to be um, uh, upgraded or up-filtered or, or you know, made ready for the PlayStation 5 and its hardware. Whether that is just in unlocking frame rates or increasing uh, textures, I'm not really sure, but I would imagine they're going to be upgraded in some fashion. So... Uh, Keep an eye out for that. That's going to go live when the PlayStation 5 goes live. So if you're a PlayStation Plus member and you have a PlayStation 4, you are, I believe, going to still get access to those. Uh, At least that's the last thing I read on the PlayStation uh, forums is that you are going to get access to those uh, new games as well. So that's something to keep track of. It's going to give you at least a little game collection to compete with Microsoft's Game Pass. So cool. Uh, MKBHD and Dave2D both uh, put out videos this last week about the PS5 controller. And I'm going to take a little bit of a... 
uh, cut down version of MKBHD's take on this. And uh, this is the part that kind of makes me interested. I'm a big fan of small changes to uh, increase the, um, what am I trying to say? To increase the um, fidelity of a game, right? To increase the immersion. There we go. That's the word I was looking for, the immersion. So the PlayStation 5 controller, it's built differently, right? So it feels beefy in your hand. It feels a little thicker and stouter and tougher, right? So that's 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 the first thing. The new haptic feedback, um, I get from, from MKBHD's take, it is more accurate and it feels more impactful when you're playing. The haptic feedback changes frequency and changes duration and changes feel depending on what surface that your character is walking on, at least in games that enable that feature. So there's a demo that's come out for the PlayStation 5 that um, features all of these demos or all of these uh, features in it. It features all the features. (laughs) It has all of these features built into it for the PlayStation 5 controller. And so... um, when when uh, YouTubers are playing this right now, when they're when they're running through this demo, they're describing the fact that they can feel the difference between the surfaces that this character is walking on. When they're walking on a metal grate, it has a different tone and and feeling in the controller's haptic feedback than the glass uh, right next to the same uh, panel. So that feels again differently, has a different tone and different echo in the controller. As well um, as the haptic feedback, they're implementing some of the speaker in the controller as well now to increase some of that immersion. So you're getting not only the feeling of it, but the sound as well coming from the controller. It's it's a very interesting, very interesting way of doing things. So that's that's the haptic feedback in and of itself. On top of that, it's the new adaptive controllers. So um, if you came from older school computers, uh, or if you, you know, if you come from racing simulation now, you understand what force feedback is. And if you don't, here's a brief description. So force be- feedback is the, it's a kind of measurements within the computer to apply, um, resistance in a set of motors on most steering wheels and joysticks and things like that for flight simulators and racing uh, simulators for computers. They tell them, they tell those different, uh, accessories, how much force to register back to you as the as the user as the person interacting with the steering wheel or the joystick, so it feels more real. It's in, instead of just being like a spring that you can spin effortlessly on a wheel or a spring effortlessly on a joystick, you have some force pushing back against you as you try to adjust these different parameters in game. So as you're coming around a corner in a rally car or a street car or something, and you're you're fighting hard to get into the corner, the steering wheel's fighting hard against you, so it feels like you're actually turning a wheel with resistance. So these triggers in the PlayStation 5, uh, the PlayStation 5's controller, the new controller, they have a similar concept. They're adaptive to the situation. So um, again, MKBHD was describing the interaction with these triggers to be something um, that that immediately makes you feel like you're interacting with the thing on screen. So he gave reference to stretching rope and uh, things like that. As you would stretch these these different interactions within the game, you could feel the resistance as it got more taunt, and or as, as you would imagine, it would get more taunt and have more resistance. You could feel it in the trigger. And that's that's pretty amazing. That has a lot of implication. And, and again, I reference back to racing and flight sims. Um, you know, in racing games, one of the biggest complaints of all time, why people always buy a racing wheel and pedals is because you cannot tell the resistance of when you're trying to brake or accelerate um, with the with the triggers, and 
Um, braking obviously being the big one, right? Because you have to press harder on the brakes with more resistance to apply braking into a corner. And I think, you know, obviously, um, if, if uh, Gran Turismo, right, were to, were to implement this kind of uh, resistance in the triggers and get it accurately done, it could be pretty amazing. It could really, really do a lot to make those games feel like, uh, you know, feel very next gen. Again, feel very immersive without having to go out and buy a bunch of other accessories and really invest in a proper area to sit down and do a racing sim. So that would be pretty cool. Um, Dave2D, uh, the other YouTuber mentioned, um, he went into a bit of a speculation about how the motors work. And he he doesn't he doesn't go into how to describe the motors correctly in my opinion but he talks about a corkscrew gear and and some and some gearing within the, the trigger system and what he's referencing at least that 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 I'm aware of in terms of uh, terminology is what's called a worm gear and a worm gear uh is basically a big corkscrew and it's and it rests uh, on top of uh, another gear of of um either on top of or next to another gear and usually they're in opposing planes. So if one's horizontal, one's vertical, or vice versa. And what it does is it creates um, essentially a wall for the tooth of the gear to rest against. And unless that wall moves, that gear won't move. So if the motor that supplies power to the worm gear is is essentially meant to just be free spinning when the controller is off, you'll feel very little resistance. But as you apply more voltage to what I'm assuming would be some kind of slip clutch or 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 type of motor designed for tap to have some kind of slipping in it. If you were to apply voltage to that, you could make that worm gear move slower and slower through uh, again through gear reduction as well within the trigger system. You could actually have a very accurate and um, very minimal moving parts while still being very reliable system. So uh, if, if that's the case. That's actually a pretty good, uh, pretty good system in place, and, and I can see how that could actually be very, very uh, durable over the course uh, of the time the controllers are in use. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, if you're a man-child and you have uh, man-child tantrums, um, like some of us do, me, that's me I'm talking about. I have those problems. Uh, and you bash your controller every now and then against something because you just, you know, having a bad day. That that might not hold up very well. I'm not really sure. Uh, nonetheless, uh, controllers are replaceable. They are an accessory. You can purchase them. They just keep getting more expensive. More expensive. They keep getting more expensive the more features they put into these uh, controllers. So, nonetheless, I think it's a cool system. If that is the case with the little worm gear solution and the gear reduction into the trigger, it's pretty cool. Um, like I said in the beginning of the, in the headline section, I, I'm into RC crawlers and RC cars, and the micro crawlers that I have from uh, from Axial called the SCX24, they use a worm gear solution on the differentials. And the reason why they do that is because due to the resistance in in a, in a worm gear, if it's not powered or moving, it creates almost an immovable uh, wall for the teeth of a gear to sit on. And so when you're sitting uh, running down an obstacle facing forward, with these micro crawlers, if you let off the throttle, it acts as what's called a drag brake. So it'll stop the crawler uh, midway down an obstacle without having to apply any braking pressure because the worm gear creates so much resistance. So I can definitely see why they would go that route. It is a very uh, good engineering solution to do that. So I'm excited to see what happens on the teardown for these controllers and see how those trigger systems work. I'm very curious at this point. And as soon as I know, you guys will know. On to the last thing, the AMD GPU event happened, and AMD released the RX 6000 series GPUs with a 50% in performance uplift per watt over RDNA 2. So RDNA 2 was the last series of the 
uh, GPUs, so the 5000 series, right? So right now we have the 5800 and the 5800 XT. Um, and basically, AMD knocked it out of the freaking park. Um, they're giving new features. They're giving um, new API solutions. They're giving uh, new benefits to going with a full AMD system. They're giving... Um, a full support for DirectX 12, and they're giving super, super competitive pricing. Um, we'll go into some of the details here. So, so the, their main card that they're pushing out would be the AMD Radeon RX 6800 XT. This is going to have 72 compute units. It's going to have a game clock of uh, 2,000, uh, 1500, or sorry, 2,015 megahertz. It'll have a boost clock of 2,250 megahertz. It has 128 megabytes of of cache and it has a 16 gigabyte uh, card uh, memory. So um, basically at this point, we're talking very substantial cards here, right? So, you know, the, the current 5,800 XT that's on the market right now, 5,000 series card, um, the most popular version of that card is an eight gig card. So you're getting double the memory. Um, uh, you're getting almost double the, the cache. You're getting a higher frequency. You're getting more compute units. And so the compute units are the things that do the, the work in terms of the, uh, the graphical processing. So you're getting so many uh, advantages here. We're going with these cards and the prices are very competitive for what they're competing against. I think they're kind of leaving the 5,000 series cards to compete with the lower end because they're still so good. I would imagine being AMD, they're probably going to cut the prices of the 5,000 cards here in the next uh, few weeks to a month leading into the holiday season here. Don't quote me on that, but I would imagine that's probably going to happen. So you've got a new CPU that's been talked about this month already, and then you've got these new cards. And what the the big, big feature they talked about, and I mentioned this in the, in the beginning of the podcast, is this smart access memory. It gives full access to the GPU memory and the CPU memory to work together to lower latency and give performance boost. The most uh, that they were able to pull out of that performance boost is 13%, and the least was 2%. So we have about an average of about 8, 6 to 8% of a performance increase. That's incredibly impressive if you think about it, right? Because the difference between, you know, let's let's say we go to an average the low average of 6%, right? If you get a 6% performance increase, that puts you into some pretty significant territory when you're talking about big cards and big numbers and large FPS increases. That's a very very competitive reason to go with an AMD processor, let alone the fact that AMD has been basically knocking on the door of Intel's leadership for the last two years. And they really, with this last series of processors they just released, they kind of knocked Intel off their platform and said, hey, your move. We beat you across the board. And they brought a processor to the table that uh, was able to compete blow for blow with Intel, not just in, in multi-threaded applications, but in single-threaded applications, which was the big thing that Intel held for a very long time. Um, Intel is still set to release their, their new, new stuff and we'll see what they do and we'll see how they fire back. But nonetheless, even if Intel fires back with a three or 4% gain over AMD processor to processor, clock for clock, you still have that, that in gaming, right? You still have that up to 13% increase with this, uh, AMD memory share utility. And that is something that is significant. That's going to make a real reason to build a full AMD system these days. I'm very excited for this. Again, like I said, you know, there's there's a big reason why competition is good, and it's good for consumers. It's good for companies too because it forces innovation, and, and you never want to be a stagnant company. Look at Intel; they they sat on their heels for a very long time while AMD has kind of bided their time, and then all of a sudden AMD came to the market with Ryzen, and boom! Within five years, now they're they're a leader in the industry. So, um, I I really like this. I really like the, the the theme of what's going on. I dig what's happening, and I just hope for more 
uh, releases and more competition. Obviously, healthy competition. We don't want to have anything. You know, we don't have to have to have company subterfuge here and and hiring spies and taking stuff down and and you know leaking information. But I do like a good healthy competition, especially in the tech industry. It makes things fun, and I get to report on something. So that's also a win. Anyway, that's going to be it for this week's podcast. I truly appreciate you all once again. If you are stucking around to the end of it, you guys are amazing. Tune in next week. I'll have some more updates. And uh, take care. Have a great week. Talk at you next week.